Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. It's a round-robin edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers, and Wells Fargo Center. Here we go. Kevin Haynes, a set-range pass. Konechny gives it up. Long with a shot. He scores! What a setup by Travis Konechny, the blind behind the back pass. And Scott Lawton was there and hammers it home to give the Flyers the one they lead. And Gottaman guarding to the goal. And to the net is Sandheim with a shot. He scores! Travis Sandheim, what hands, what great mitts. He goes upstairs. The goal makes it 2-0 Flyers. Into the right wing corner, Kevin Hayes. Throw it in front, deflected, they score! And Scott Lawton's got another one! What a trio these three have been, and Lawton's got his third of the postseason. It's 3-0 Flyers. And welcome to your Friday, a happy Friday edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. The day after the game, the day the day after a game, and the day before a game that determines the seating and the top spot in the Eastern Conference as the Flyers are now well-positioned to take that top spot with a win over the Tampa Bay Lightning, it won't be easy. Tampa is a really good team, uh, but the Flyers and Tampa will do better. Com- but the Flyers and Tampa will do battle on Saturday to determine who takes that top spot. And with the win over the Washington Capitals yesterday, the Philadelphia Flyers ensured either the top or second spot in the seating in the Eastern Conference. We said it all along that when they announced this format for the playoffs, it benefited the Flyers in the sense that they could not move down from the four seed and they could only move up with a good performance in the round robin. And that is exactly what has happened. The Flyers get a 3-2 win over the Washington Capitals, two Scott Lawton goals, a Travis Sanheim goal, Eight points for the Kevin Hayes, Travis Konechny, Scott Lawton line, and another dominant performance by the Philadelphia Flyers, giving up just the one goal on 17 shots. Brian Elliott was sharp when he needed to be. Flyers did a great job with team defense and limiting those opportunities of the Washington Capitals. And really, the only goal that got in was a double deflection as well. Not much Brian Elliott can do on a double deflection. The only goal Carter Hart gave up in the game against the Boston Bruins was off his defenseman skate uh, at the top of the crease. The goaltending's been good. The defense has been good. The offense has been good. The only thing that hasn't been good is the power play. Um, that's one of those things that a lot of teams in the National Hockey League and the return to play are struggling with right now, except for the Edmonton Oilers and the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, that's one of those things where you need to work on it a lot. And with a shortened training camp, uh, they didn't get a ton of work done on the power play. Not only that, but the ice has not been the greatest of conditions with so many games being played in each building uh, that it does not lend for the skill of a power play uh, necessarily to have a tremendous amount of success. Plus, uh, you know, if your passing's not precise, and these are the things that take time to come back, that element. Um, the Flyers will need to fix that, though. And I'm sure that is something Elaine Vino and this team will be addressing uh, for uh, the next couple of practices, both before this afternoon, uh, the Tampa Bay game, and then certainly between that Tampa Bay game and the game number one of their best of seven round number one series, whoever that opponent may be. Here's what's coming up on this episode. In just a minute, we're going to hear from F- former Flyer defenseman Chris Tarrion. And in the middle of our conversation, we'll be joined by Flyers forward. Kevin Hayes, who had another three-point night for the Philadelphia Flyers. So Bundy and I will talk with Kevin Hayes as well. So that is coming up momentarily. And we're also going to bring an old feature back that we haven't done in a while. And we're going to answer a ton of Twitter questions. Got some great questions that came in. We'll address as many of those as possible. But in the meantime, let's get to my conversation with Chris Tarrion. And very early in this conversation, Kevin Hayes will join as well. Here it is. 
Flyers coming off a huge 3-1 win over the Washington Capitals in round-robin play game number two and joining us right now on Flyers Daily, former Flyers defenseman and all-around good guy, Chris Terrian. Bundy, what's happening? Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. I'm glad that $20 went somewhere I gave you before to say that about me. <laughs> well, the invoice got paid, brother. <laughs> That's right. Listen, I'll tell you what. Uh, what, a, what a game that was today. And again, you know, I mean, I was almost uh, – you know, Jace, I think, you know, I on Twitter together, but I mean, I almost felt like that was kind of very, very similar to the uh, uh, the first game they just played uh, in, in the round robin, too, against the Bruins. Had the same kind of flavor to it, uh, same type of atmosphere, uh, and a lot of the, the Flyers created their own energy. But that second line, they absolutely torched, just torched the Washington Capitals today. Konechny, Lawton, and Hayes, absolutely the storyline of this game, along with Brian Elliott. Yeah, and Bundy, to go into that too, and you're right, there's two games, you know, to hold the Caps to just, what, 17 shots in the game. And it's not always about just the number of shots, but the, the high danger chances and that kind of stuff. And against the Bruins, they did a good, decent job on, you know, high danger chances. They gave up 35 shots in that game. But the, the buy-in yeah. team defense-wise, five-man unit in, the, in their own zone in the details has been a big difference and a big thing that stuck out to me. Yeah, no question about it, Jason. You know, and I think the one thing that this proves here, if, you, if you're a team that's bought into your defensive system and the things that your coaches try to tell you will work, and it's a winning way, and he knows that because he's been through it before, uh, I think it's really key that you have your leaders buy into it, and they've done that. But to play and execute, especially when, like, you know, the weirdest part for me with this has been the fact that, that we were off for four and a half months. It felt, now this is just me, it's personal, but it felt like it was three weeks. That's what it felt like to me. Um, but the way that they've come back and kept the glue together of, of what they built during the year uh, is really, really great to see. I guess my only question would be, and I asked Billy Clement on the postgame show tonight on NBC, was, um, you know, is it – because I've been trying to put myself in the position of one of the players now in the bubble playing these type of games. What is the difference – between a playoff game and a game that you know has no residual on the end of it. There's nothing that's going to send you back to the hotel tonight thinking about what happened in the game or the mistake you made that maybe cost you or put you behind the eight ball. So from that standpoint, that, that to me I think is the biggest I wonder for me is you're not in a playoff series yet and you're not, you haven't really had any type of adversity. So that, to me, will be another key. But to me, the way they played Jason this year, I don't think it's going to matter. I mean, it, it shouldn't matter. It really should not matter. Yeah, you're so right. And you know, they're not playing for their playoff lives just yet, but playing for seeding. And while there is no technical home ice advantage, last change could be something that's uh, very uh, pronounced. Uh, Bundy, um, looking at, at the team from, you know, the way that, you know, you talk about that Hayes line, and, and he's going to be checking in with us any second here. And there he is, as a matter of fact, sure. on cue. You hear the little awesome. Zoom thing. And Kevin Hayes joins us now, too. Hazy, how you doing? Doing well. Just got back to the hotel. You're with uh, myself and, and Chris Tarian. We were just talking about your line, um, Kevin. Boy, you guys are buzzing right now. Uh, is confidence just off the charts with you guys? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we felt good in camp. Uh, we didn't play with each other until the end of camp. But we kind of had a feeling that we were going to end up together. And, um I mean, we joke around all the time off the ice. We're three pretty tight, tight friends, and I think um, I mean, it's easy to say the confidence is high because we had a great game, but I think uh, we complement each other well, and I thought today uh, showed it. Kevin, how, uh, it's Chris Terrian. Kevin, how much, uh, when you look at it, buddy, from your side of things, 
How much importance you put in the emergence of Scotty Lott becoming and working towards the player that he is now, uh, that's elevated you guys, you and Konechny as well. You come in with lots of years under the league. Konechny had come in with, uh, you know, an arsenal as well. But really, Scotty earned his right to be up there. How much has that inspired you guys and made you guys the line you are? Yeah, I mean, Scott, he's a first-rounder. He, he's an elite player. and I think he kind of had a shutdown role at the beginning. And, I mean, sometimes that happens to guys where you're under the league and your spot is to be a third, fourth-line guy. And he had no complaints. But, I mean, he, he's a great player. He he compliments our games. Um, I mean, he's always F1. Him and TK are kind of involved. Like they're buzzing around, hitting guys, getting under guys' skin. And, and they know once I have the puck to kind of to get open and, and I think Lotsy completely buys into that. Um, I don't think he's, like, extremely happy that he's up there. I think he knows he belongs with us. Um, and, I mean, that's why he's had so much success. He he knows he's a great player, and, and our line's kind of gelling right now. And it's, it's going well for him. Hazy, sure. um, the, you know, the momentum before the pause, and you and I talked during the pause a couple of times, um, that doesn't travel and it, it doesn't last, but you guys are doing a really good job of putting these foundational elements back <laughs> into your game and, and playing the right way that you're creating a whole new momentum, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still not where it needs to be. Uh, we've obviously won two games, but we know we, we still got some work before, uh, before the real stuff happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, our teams are, it's a very tight team. I mean, you've been around us in a lot. It's, it's a bunch of guys that are willing to fight for one another. And I think that, uh, it all starts with our leadership. Even, even the two new guys in the team, between uh, Niski and Justin Braun, um, it feels like they've been here for a long time. And then you mix that in with Gigi Coots and Jake and, and Brian Elliott. It, it's uh, it's easy to follow those guys in the battle, and, and they know when to joke around and when to be serious. And I think our whole team is bought into that. Kev, it's pretty hard to to critique the kind of two games you played. We'll throw the exhibition game out, but just the round robin games, but. That being said, if you if you there's probably one thing you could pick on the team about, and it's not really picking on it, but what do you do with the power play? Is that a concern to you? The five on five game you guys are playing has been terrific. Is it sometimes a power play get away from me where you try to be too cute sometimes, and can that creep into your game? Um, I mean, you can obviously complain about the power play because we haven't scored, but I mean, right? We enter the zone, enter the zone with ease every single time. We set the puck up every single power play. It's not like we're chasing the puck around. I think our biggest thing, uh, we just need to get pucks to the net early, and then that opens up those seams. But you can you start getting aggravated with the power play when you're not getting in. Uh, and for us, it's the complete opposite. Yeah. We're getting in with ease every single time. Uh, obviously, we're not getting the looks, but I think with practice in the next game, we'll we'll start. You'll see us start throwing pucks up the net. Kevin, I figured out what the problem is. You're not playing at home, so you don't have all those knuckleheads yelling to shoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need that. <laughs> shoot there's no lane dude <laughs> uh speaking of that what's it been like playing with no fans uh, in the building we, we're getting some piped in crowd noise uh, for the telecast and the radio broadcast um but in the building i imagine you can hear all the chatter i imagine elaine is uh, more pronounced and and his yelling from the bench as well but what's it been like for you playing uh sans the fans yeah it's it's definitely different um but like you guys know once you once the puck drops it's it's uh you're there to win the game. Uh, it's obviously fun pumping up the crowd after a big hit or a fight or a big goal. Uh, that's not the case right now. But once you get about two minutes into the game, it's it's pretty normal. Um, it's kind of funny when you hear every single sound that every player is saying. Uh, you hear every single chirp. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's 
it'd be nice to have fans. Obviously, we wish we wish we did. We obviously want everyone to stay safe. But once the game gets going, it's it's pretty pretty easy to to get motivated. And, and the big games are coming up, so I'm I'm sure we'll be ready. Jeff, I lastly for me, I guess just the way they put the tarps over the seats and stuff. And I'm going back to my days playing when we have like a really spirited scrimmage. Is it like that almost, where you have two sides going at it, and you know the coach wants to see a great scrimmage when you're at the practice rink? But in a sense, do those do the covers over the seats lend to um, a little bit more ease on on the players' eyes, realizing that the fans are not there? I think so. I mean, they they've done a tremendous job trying to make it feel as normal as possible. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys can see everything on the TV or or stuff, but yeah, we can. It's yeah. There's there's a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, there's screens everywhere. There's lights everywhere. There's noise coming in. Um, we obviously know there's no fans, but like I said, it's it's once the puck drops, it's we love playing for the fans, but most of the time you're playing for one another. You're playing for your coaches. You're playing for the staff that pays you all this money, and and this is this is just proven that that's that's what we're doing right now. Uh, Kevin, last for question. Sure. Last question for you. Um, wh- what's it been like in the bubble? I, I, Jake was on yesterday's episode of, of Flyers Daily, and he said he can get grumpy and need some time away from guys. Uh, I told him to download the Calm app. Um, but w- what's it been like for you guys in the hotel and all that stuff? I'm having a blast. Me, me and Jake are a little different. I love being around the guys. Um, <laughs> it's I try to spend as much time as possible in the players' lounge, playing Xbox, um, pretty much Xbox every night. I'll we'll order some food, uh, eat in the lounge. Um, but yeah, I mean, we do spend a lot of time with one another. But for me, that's that's what I'm looking for. It's like it's like an old school youth tournament, isn't it? But it like exactly. on a way different it's, scale. It's a, hockey, it's a hockey camp on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it only gets annoying being there for a long period of time if you're losing. But if you're winning, it's just going to remain fun because winning is fun. So, uh, Kevin, great game tonight. You're lying with eight points. Uh, you guys were off the charts. Uh, uh, everybody back here in Philly is very excited. Thanks for doing this, and best of luck coming up on yeah. Saturday against the Lightning. Thanks, guys. All right, let's, let's continue. <laughs> let's carry on here, my friend. Boy, he's a guy, Bundy, and he says he loves being around the guys in the bubble. Like, yeah. huge personality. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because – it's my contention that, you know, not every guy is a guy that's a talker or likes to have fun. You were one of those guys. You love to have a good time yeah. both on and off the yeah. ice. Um, but having yeah. him there for some of those guys that are quieter and having him being able to fill all that, that oxygen in the room takes a, a little bit of a burden off guys that don't like to talk a lot. They can just sit there and kind of chuckle and oh. laugh. Dude, I'm telling you right now, a guy like that is worth his weight in gold, especially off the ice. I mean, that takes – there's usually about three or four guys when I played that would try to keep it loose. I was one of them, Jonesy. But also when the puck drops, to be able to, uh, you know, to really, really get yourself into a groove to play hockey. You know, you're not just there to uh, to be a comedian, but at the same time, you have to have that character and personality in you uh, to maybe take the edge off of guys a little bit. And quite clearly, you know, I don't know Kevin Hayes really well. I've seen him a lot during the year, covered the games. But you can just tell that he's one of the guys that uh, uh, is a good guy in the room. He's from Boston, you know, and I, I really haven't ran into a lot of bad guys from B-Town. They have a pretty – Pretty, uh, pretty good sense of humor, and, and I think he wears it really well for his teammates. It's a tough job to do, believe me. It, it does take up a lot of energy, uh, but you have to understand that you're doing it for the betterment of the team, too. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, let me ask you about um, Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers and that second D pairing. Man, are they, have they hit just a stride with their game, the way they complement each other. What is it for you as a guy who you know, controlled the blue line in this league for a very long time? What is it about those two? Uh, that makes them so effective. I know part of it is something that you were really good at, and that's skating. 
I, I was going to say skating. I was a good skater. Uh, there, and I believe I was a lengthier guy when I was earlier. So I did skate a lot, very much like it. But that to me, if you can use those strides, and now it's more of a skater's league where you're not getting tied up as much as maybe you used to, or a guy would give you like the old bear hug in the corner. So I think now big skating players uh, like that can, can play in this league for a really long time. And uh, it's good to see it. It's really nice to see young, homegrown defensemen flourishing so early in their careers. Um, playing defense in this league is a very humbling experience. And there's going to be nights that it's not going to go your way. And if I tell two young guys like this, and I'm sure they're getting a lot of good uh, uh, input from some really good hockey people here and Mike Yo and Kerry Huffman uh, with the Phantoms, but there'll be nights where you, you will feel very humbled by the skill in this league. And you just have to remember you're a good player, use your skating, uh, have your head up, keep your feet moving. And I always tell kids, not even now at 11, 12, 13 years old, get your head up, get your feet moving. And I think those two guys have done that perfectly. Yeah, and were you surprised that, you know, Phil Myers gets the goal in the Boston game? I, and I said to him when I had him on, Bundy, I said, I know that you got the big heavy bomb of a shot, but I didn't know you had that. Like, that was a snapshot on the off wing, perfectly placed, uh, perfect snipe in the corner over the blocker of Yarrow Halak. Uh, that's, a, that's a goal scorer's goal. I didn't know he had that. Yeah. Well, I didn't either. I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> if I just scored it, someone would say, well, it was Halak. <laughs> it yep. wasn't too corrupt. <laughs> but, you know, anytime a defenseman comes down and sings a goal like that, like Phil, uh, Phil Myers the other night and uh, Tra- Travis Sanheim tonight uh, against uh, Washington, man, I'll tell you what, those are two beautiful goals. And, and, you know, listen, I think the other snag, too, in all this, you know, when you look at it, there's not been a lot to pick on. I mean, even, even the top line who's not produced at all, uh, you know, no one's talking about it because the depth has taken over. Defenseman scoring goals and the goaltending has been great. Um, so, Power play. I know Kevin's saying about getting in the uh, the zone with uh, on, on an entry under control, and they have. I just felt though, if they get that power play going on the top line, whew, look out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, part of that top line and, and the lack of production is they're also dealing with the perfection line with Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, and then dealing with Backstrom, Tom Wilson, and Alexander Ovechkin. So they're being a little more defensively responsible. Are you seeing that? A little bit, but they still we need them. You need them to score. We need yep. the, the city needs those guys to be. You know they have to be uh, really, really good players for you. You know the guys, your offensive producers. Um, you know, and again, like I said, I've said it a few times. I don't think Giroux doesn't not have to be your best player to win to bring home the silver cup. He doesn't have to be, uh, nor should he be. So the depth has been a, is to me is the advantage, the true advantage of this team. But so are the top heavy skilled players that this team has, and they need to rise to the forefront before these, you know, the real playoffs begin. Um, Bundy, uh, last question for you. Um, as a guy who played in a lot of NHL playoff games um, over your career, and the difference between when you are playing for your playoff life in round one, round two, a conference fight, whatever it is, how much of a pronounced difference is it from the regular season to what is Stanley Cup NHL playoffs? Well, every goal is magnified. Every play is magnified, you know, and, and it's funny, you know, I, I get a sense that that's happening a little bit, Chase, even in the other five, the games, the best of five. But for some reason, man, when you know that it's, you know, you've gotten through and your life's on the line and that goal might've just costed you or your team, uh, you know, the, the two, one lead that you had entering the, the close to the end of the second period and someone tied it at two, you know, those goals become magnified. How do you handle it the next period? That's the one thing I was thinking tonight, you know, I, I mentioned to you a little bit earlier was, you know, how do, how does this look 
in a playoff game because, you know, if you lose one of the round robin games, oh, well, you know, we lose. We still get up tomorrow and no harm, no foul. Believe me, uh, plays that happen in playoff games can creep into your thinking, and that's why you have to forget about it as quick as it came about. I don't care if there's fans in the building or not. You're playing hockey, and you have to be able to forget about the mistakes as quickly as they may come upon yeah, you got to have amnesia. Um, I lied. One more yeah. for you. Um, are the Penguins? Uh, are the Penguins cooked? They're down two one, and to me, they win game three. Montreal does, and it wasn't a, a stellar Carey Price performance. Uh, and the Canadians, I think, there's a belief now that they can play with them and they can skate with the Penguins. Uh, now they got two elimination games against the Penguins. If they should need that, are the Penguins in really, really big trouble here? Well, let's put it this way. They're going to be thinking about it. The mm-hmm. part we just talked about, they're not, they're not going to go home like the Washington Capitals tonight and be like, oh, well, we're going to be third or fourth in the conference. No, they're going home till December if they lose another game. So that, to me, is humongous in that Montreal's done that. And, you know, keep in mind, the K- Pittsburgh got a 3-1 lead in that game. Yeah. You know, Montreal came all the way back to, to, to grasp it and take a three, uh, 2-1 lead in the best of three. So do I think they're cooked? I'm not ready to say never on a guy like Crosby anytime, um, but for some reason they feel like a one one and a half trick pony almost, and it looks like their depth will be um, will be their their demise if they do indeed fall. Yeah, I watched that game uh, the, the other night with them, and I'm gone. I didn't even really notice Crosby a whole lot until the end of the game. He oh. might not be a hundred percent, but you know him; he can rise to the occasion, no doubt about it. There's- there's some weird series going on. I mean, look at, I mean, I mean New York should be just ashamed of themselves. The Rangers, oh. I mean, they hardly had any compete for three games. It was, it was awful. And then you got a team like Edmonton out, out, out West. I mean, there's one, Jason, I know we got a, uh, we, we went a couple minutes left, but uh, that one to me is almost like the Pittsburgh series. But I think Edmonton has a better chance of coming back on Chicago than Pittsburgh does on Montreal. Yeah. A lot of pride on that Chicago side. A lot of cup winners on that side as well. Yeah. Um, interesting- yep. Yeah, the five versus twelve has been uh, incredible series so far, and, and anybody's guess. Yeah. I mean, the only team that's got the power play going is is those two teams, Chicago and Edmonton. Everybody else has been dog yeah. you know what on it, but the five versus twelve never disappoints, right? Chase, no matter uh, what month it is, whether it's, like it's March, March Madness. or whether it's August. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great March point. Yeah. Hey, great catching up, my friend. We'll talk this week. Always great to talk to Bundy and to get uh, Kevin Hayes to jump in there after a three-point night and a night where his line had eight points in the game uh, is tremendous. And Kevin Hayes, you know, and talking to him about life inside the bubble, he's a guy that's not going back to to his room for alone time, like you heard Jake Voracek say in yesterday's episode. Uh, Kevin Hayes is a guy that loves to be around everybody, loves to be joking and having a good time, and I'm sure he's having an absolute blast inside the bubble there at Hotel X in downtown Toronto. Flyers Daily, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center, supporting our Flyers. Penn Orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options fueled by our own world-renowned research, doing what once seemed impossible so you can too. Another reason why your life is worth Penn Medicine. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash ortho and give them a follow on Twitter at Penn Medicine. All right, Twitter question time. we got so many good ones. Thanks to everybody for responding. We really appreciate it. And our first one comes from The Egg. He said, is A.V. the best coach in the city of Philadelphia? He said, I'm an Eagles season ticket holder for context, and I think he's right there with Doug Peterson playing Elliott today, and it works. Man, I'm ready to roll. Uh, Clearly, Elaine Vigneault has done a tremendous job, hence the Jack Adams nomination and finalist uh, to win the coach of the year. Uh, Elaine Vigneault has taken two teams to a Stanley Cup final 
in both Vancouver and New York with the New York Rangers. He is a tremendous coach. Um, I I don't want to get into splitting hairs on if he's the best coach in the city, he or Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. So, uh, but here's the deal. A.V., as a tremendous coach, and in talking to all the players, and if you follow along with Flyers Daily during the pause, I asked every player about playing under Elaine Vigneault, and pretty much every player had the same response. He has tremendous feel for his team, both on the bench during a game and just feel in general on how to handle guys in certain situations. So, yeah, he's a good coach. Uh, Bill Moore, at Sarcastic Bill, tweets in and says, It's been a long time since I've seen uh, uh, the, this Flyers team this calm, loose, and sharp. Agree? Absolutely. Um, now, look, they're not playing games right now for their playoff life. That is a little different. And they're in a no-lose situation coming into this round, Robin being the four seed. But absolutely, they look calm. They look confident. Um, they look like they're these first two games against the Bruins and the Washington Capitals. They look like they're, I keep using the term, rebuilding the foundation of the team they were before the pause that won nine of their last ten and didn't lose back-to-back games since early January. Um, you can't carry that momentum from March to now, but you can rebuild uh, that foundation of the team that you were, and they've done a really good job at doing that. Uh, Gritty Adam tweets in and says, does the chance for them to claim the top spot in the East on Saturday change the game plan as far as the lineup? He said, think AV might opt to keep the same lineup as today or the one he used against Boston to go for the win as opposed to just getting guys into a game. There's a couple people with this same question. Um, it's a really good question that I'm not sure of. I know he wants to get Shane Gossespierre, maybe Mark Friedman into a game should you need them uh, during the playoffs, and you probably will. If you go on a long run, you're going to have to dip into your depth, and you'd rather those guys have a game in this round robin than have their last game be all the way back in March. So uh, it'll be an interesting decision for Elaine Vigneault, and it'll be interesting to see if James Van Riemsdyk draws back in on uh, Saturday against the Tampa Bay Lightning. My, I suspect that he will, uh, but that fourth line with Connor Bunneman on it and Nate Thompson uh, was a good line, and it was they did a great job on the forecheck. Nicholas Albay-Kubel was a wrecking ball out there, as always. Such a good forechecker. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Elaine uh, Vigneault decides to uh, – Uh, change his lineup, if at all, coming up on Saturday against the Lightning. Uh, They got an opportunity to get the top seed. I think that they'd be satisfied from we accomplished what we needed to to get out of the four spot, Uh, but we'll see if that does, in fact, come into play. And you go, well, if we get the top seed and Montreal does upset the Penguins, then you get Carey Price and the Canadians. But I don't think you should be scared of that. I think that the Canadians have a good chance, obviously, to to move on, but I'm not sure that uh, I, I would be doing something purposely to... Uh, avoid carry price in the Canadians. Uh, Joe Mann tweets in and says, not predicting anything, but how is home ice advantage done for the finals? Is it seeding or regular season percentage? Well, since there could be a number one seed from each conference or you both could be the two seed, I imagine it is regular season winning percentage or points, probably winning percentage because uh, maybe they haven't played the same amount of games. Uh, David uh, at First State Tar Heel tweets in and says, not a question, just a statement. This team is fun to watch. The way they clamp down on D and limit scoring chances, the way they exit the zone, top-notch, big things ahead. And and it's a great point. David makes a great point. The way they exit the zone is as a five-man unit. The way they clamp down on D is a five-man unit playing defense. It's not just the defensemen. And you saw so many times in the Boston game and the Washington game where when the opposition would uh, obtain the zone and kind of peel up on the half wall, 
There's the back pressure coming to break up that play. You saw it so many times in both of those games. That's a commitment to the system, commitment to the process. Um, Bill tweets in and says, hi, Jason. What are the keys to beat Tampa? Thanks. Um, well, Tampa's a really good team. They're without Steven Stamkos right now. they got top-notch goaltending with Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, Victor Hedman, if he is able to go on Saturday, former Norris Trophy winner. Uh, you got a really, really good team. Braden Point is just playing outrageous right now, as as is Nikita Kucherov. they got tons of talent. Um, what you want to do is you're going to keep them off the power play, number one, stay disciplined, and do what you've done against these other teams. Buy into the team defense, five-man unit, and 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 keep keep pressure on with all four lines with a, fer, a ferocious forecheck. That's the key. And if you do that, then you're going to put yourself in a really good position. Uh, at JTurso98 says, who would you want to face in the next round? I don't like to predict opponents. Um, and I, I've been off on some of the teams that I thought would come back good and some that wouldn't. Uh, I look at a team like Carolina. I thought they would get bounced by the Rangers. Boy, I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, I look at a team like the Islanders who had um, good success against the Flyers this regular season, but I go, is that a team that can score in the playoffs? But they play such great team defense under that Barry Trot system, so I'm not sure. Whoever you get, you're going to have to beat good teams along the way if you want to go on a pronounced run in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Dan tweets in and says, uh, what is the tweak they need to make to get over the hump against Tampa this year? Power play is missed on opportunities. What do they need to do to capitalize on that advantage? I already kind of addressed the uh, the Tampa part of that, but the, the power play part of that is – um, they, they just got to be more precise and you got to simplify when everything is not clicking perfectly with a special teams unit like the power play, you simplify it. And what you do is you get bodies to the blue paint and you get pucks to the blue paint. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the things that they can do is just simplify it and get one and then build on that. Bill tweets in, this is a great point. He says, regardless of who wins the cup this season, they should not get an asterisk. These players are isolated for what could be months for the winner during a pandemic. This cup is every bit as legit as any other. Not a question, just an observation. But you're right. Bill Watts, you are right. Um, it's different, absolutely, because the playoff field's different. Uh, the fact that they're in hub cities and there is no fans and, and home ice advantage, per se. Um, but it'll be known as the, the coronavirus cup or the COVID cup. But it does not get an asterisk, and, and not in my mind, not in any way, shape, or form. And looking at the way these games and these teams have come back and prepared to play, uh, and the fact that there's been 7,000 tests and zero positives, then I look at that and I go, no, there should absolutely not be an asterisk next to this cup in any way, shape, or form. Is it unique? Yes. Asterisk? No. Jim Sweeney tweets in, is the intensity level the same in the round-robin games as it is in the playing games? Could that hurt the round-robin teams? This is interesting uh, because when you're playing for your playoff life, as those teams are in the best-of-five playing series versus playing for seeding, yeah, there's more urgency in those games. There is higher intensity, although the Flyers, the big reason why they won the first two games over Boston and Washington is because they had a higher level of intensity than their opponent did, and you cannot just flip the switch. Um, we'll see if that ends up hurting any of these teams. This is so unique. You have no clue. Like We have no clue what, what the recipe is for success once the round of 16 starts. We really don't. We're in uncharted waters here. Andy tweets in, any concern about the lack of production from the top line? That would be Couturier, Giroux, and Jake Voracek. Um, well, part of that is the power play, especially in the Capitol game. They had six power plays. They ended up going 0 for 6. Um, but also, 5-on-5, five five, they haven't gotten any goals. Now, they did face the Boston Bruins. Uh, with that top line that they were matched against of Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and David Pasternak. And in this game, they obviously were locked up against the line with um, 
Alexander Ovechkin, Nick Backstrom, and Tom Wilson. Um, so you're first and foremost, you, you got to be responsible and not let that line beat you. So you play good defensively against that line. That's part of it, but that line also needs to be a little bit better. They need, they need to end up on the score sheet for this team to go far. Those are your top paid players. Those are your best players offensively, and they will need to, to get something going. Can they do that? Absolutely. Will they? I hope so. All right, our next question is from Eric Snyder, at Eric M. Snyder on Twitter, and he says, do the Flyers have enough star power on offense to win the Cup? That's a really interesting question. You know, what is star power? Um, the Edmonton Oilers have tons of star power. I mean, they have Connor McDavid. They have a guy that's going to win the heart and Leon Dreisaitl, at least in my opinion, and led the league in points. Um, but are they a team that's good enough to win the Cup? I don't think so. Star power does in, in hockey doesn't equate to – like it does in basketball or some other sports. You need to have balance, and you need to have four lines, and you need to have all those lines being able to chip in offensively, do the right things defensively, and dictate play. The Flyers have that. They're built for the playoffs. Uh, Connor McDavid's before this season, has been to one playoff in his five years in the NHL. He is the most dynamic talent in the league. You need it's, it's like Claude Giroux not winning a playoff series since 2012. Is that an indictment on Claude Giroux? Some people think so. I think that's ridiculous. When you look at the goaltending situation that Claude Giroux had over those eight years, or I guess seven years, and then you also look at the lack of depth on the team, if you shut down one line, then the other, then you can't score, you can't win. And when Claude Giroux didn't have a team that had depth, that's why that, that was why they didn't win rounds in the playoffs, not because he wasn't a great player, because he was a great player. He's fourth in points in the decade. Uh, you don't just fall into being fourth in points for an entire decade in the NHL. It doesn't happen. At Flyers 420-69er tweets in and says, can you explain how reseeding works after each round? Uh, real simple. Um, after every round, the teams that are the top seed, which will be determined by this play-in round and by the round robin, after every round, the, the highest remaining seed will play the lowest remaining seed in the next round. No different than anything else. It's not a bracket system anymore. Uh, Bussy tweets in, Snyder, and also Kurt uh, both asked the same question about moving Scott Lawton up in the lineup or not breaking up that line for chemistry. I wouldn't move Scott Lawton. No way. I wouldn't even consider it. Matter of fact, if I thought it, I'd hit myself in the head with a brick. That line's playing tremendous. They gave you eight points. Why would you move Scott Lawton up in the lineup? To get the top line going? You got a line going. Don't mess with it. Kevin Hayes, Travis Konechny, Scott Lawton, second line, do not touch. All right, one more question, and it comes from uh, Doug Thomas at Ocho Muffs on Twitter. And he says, hey, Jason, I have a general hockey question for you. When a player breaks their stick, why do they stay out on the ice without a stick when they can skate to the bench for another one or change? A player without a stick is a liability. Thanks. Well, obviously, yeah, not having a stick is absolutely a liability. But if you're in your defensive zone, you can't just, especially in the second period, for the long change, you can't just skate off to your bench and leave four guys out there. Even without a stick, you can still take up space. And even without a stick, you can still be physical on players on the boards and those kind of things. Uh, if it gets out of the zone, yeah, then go get a twig or, uh, you know, put, put yourself in a situation to get off the ice and get changed. Uh, but you can't just leave the ice in the defensive zone. We saw it in a game the other night, and I'll never understand why a player in the defensive zone will run to the bench in the middle of a play to go get a, a stick because he broke his. It happened in a game the other night, and when he went to go change and, or go get another stick, 
the other team scored. It's basically like giving them a power play, even if it's only for 20 seconds. You can't do that. you got to stay on the ice, mark a man, and take a guy out of the play. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily, an all-new episode coming tomorrow as the Flyers will take on the Tampa Bay Lightning for the top seed in the Eastern Conference. Flyers Daily, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. In the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on tomorrow's episode of Game Day Edition of Flyers Daily. Okay.